0: You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. ...pains that also suffering around us right now. Um, Not only here, also in the world... Uh, there's disasters and wars, and um, I just want to tell you that uh, this sermon is for all of us, but specifically for me. Uh, I, I come as a needy, weak person uh, that's uh, overwhelmed by everything that's happening around the world, and uh, there's really no other way to turn to other than Jesus and the Bible. So I hope this sermon uh, brings hope and uh, joy to all of us. And we're going to spend some time today in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. So if you have a Bible, please open it. Um, <coughs> and I've, I've titled this, A Christian View of uh, Death and Suffering. And before I start, I just want to tell you that this this letter, the letter to Philippians, has many of the letters that Paul wrote were written from a prison or in the midst of a difficulty. Uh, specifically on this letter, many scholars believe that Paul talks about maybe a possible death sentence that he was facing. And we'll read about it in a minute. Uh, and the reality is that by because of Christian tradition we, we now know <coughs> that Paul was beheaded uh, under Emperor Nero. And he was another martyr, and basically the the way most of the apostles died, Um, and it's interesting that he refers to death and suffering in, in a way that makes almost no sense to us. So I would like to argue that Paul, through the letter of Philippians, but specifically in this text, gives us a Christian view of death and suffering. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll start. Dear God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts, bring comfort, bring peace uh, to anyone who's in need of that. Holy Spirit, shape us, sanctify us, open our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26 says, What then? Only that in every way... Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that will but that with full courage now as always christ will be honored in my body whether by life or death for to for for to me to live is christ and to die is gain if i am if i am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which i which shall i choose i cannot tell This letter, the letter of, uh, of uh, Philippians, is a letter that <coughs> people say it's like a very joyful letter. In fact, the topic of joy comes out uh, at least 16 different times in a letter that only has four chapters. So words like joy or rejoicing happen frequently. <coughs> and not only that, we are commanded in this letter two times to Three times, actually, to rejoice. It's not just something that happens to us. It's not something that we should do. It's a command, and that is a little bit strange. We don't typically command or tell people rejoice. I have never, I don't remember telling my kids, you have to be happy, like rejoice right now in, in the middle of a difficulty. But Paul is actually not the only one who talks in this way or repeats something. uh, uh, He's not new. It's not a a novel or a new idea. It's actually something that has been said before in the Bible. In fact, we have at at least 11 verses that tell us explicitly to rejoice in the face of not only suffering but also death. So let me... Read a few to you. And I, I want I want you to listen. If you are in the midst of a situation uh, or difficulty or you're not feeling well, I want you to listen to these verses. And I believe that the Word of God has power on its own through the Holy Spirit. So as I read this, please just close your eyes. Let the Spirit speak to you. 1 Peter 4, 12-14 says, Beloved, do not be surprised James 1 verses 2 to 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And in the, in, in the words of Jesus, in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They will persecute you. So, if you have read the Bible, you know that suffering is part of the Christian life. It is actually assumed in the Bible that we will suffer. This is one of the biggest arguments against the Christianity that shows or tries to prove or promotes a kind of Christianity that solves all your problems. In reality, if you read the Bible, you will realize quickly that Christianity is the perfect recipe for more suffering. I cannot even think of one person in the entire Scripture that did not suffer because of the task that was given to him or because God spoke to them or because God made a miracle in their lives. We recently just talked about a guy who was healed in the temple and that brought him a problem. He was arrested along with Peter and John in the book of Acts. Suffering for the Christian should be something that we are used to. And this is absolutely different from our society and our culture today. That is not how our culture works at all. In fact, our entire society is seeking to avoid any kind, not only suffering or death, but even discomfort. Our society doesn't understand this. When they hear that we should be glad... In suffering, it sounds stupid. And it's true. The Bible itself says our message is foolishness to the world. But I want us to remember that as Christians, we are called to constantly do stuff and things that make no sense to the world. And to be honest, it doesn't even make sense to us as well. And honestly... The Bible calls us to do things that are literally impossible. We cannot do this. What Paul is suggesting, and Jesus is suggesting, and Peter is suggesting, and the rest are suggesting is absolutely impossible for humans to do. There is a way that humans can do this, but it's actually a mental sickness. If you start rejoicing in suffering by yourself, without a supernatural help, you're probably crazy. But Paul continues to tell us that we should be doing this. Paul is being condemned to death and the posture of Paul is he's filled with hope. Verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's attitude in the middle of suffering is always positive in fact if you read paul is talking about how he rejoices because christ was uh, uh preached in the in the beginning of this letter Paul is imprisoned, and he actually tells the people in Philippi, you know what happened to me? Actually worked out for good because now everyone in this, in, in, in this prison is now hearing the gospel. And even some of the guards are hearing the gospel, and the guards are taking the gospel to the people up, up there in authority in Rome. He is positive about, about the whole thing. And he says, and I will rejoice in that. He has faith that he will be, be delivered. He has faith that Jesus will not shame him. And he even has faith that whatever happens, Christ will be honored in his body, either even if he dies. He's not only positive about a good outcome, he's positive also about a quote-unquote bad outcome. He knows it could happen. He knows God is sovereign. He knows he doesn't know, but God knows. He says, whatever happens, Christ will be honored in my body whether I die or whether I leave. Because as Christians, we can rejoice in death and suffering. We can actually do this thing that is impossible for humans to do. We can act in a way that the world does not understand. In fact, we are commanded to do it. And we see how Paul reacts to this thing. And he's thinking, what if I die? What if I don't die? What's better? And he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. And his reasoning is, if I die it's going to be better for me because I'm going to finally stop suffering and I can go to heaven and be with Jesus and that is eternal rest. And then he says, but if I stay, it's better for you and it brings you joy and so I think it's better for me to stay. So he chooses suffering again. And that doesn't make sense. And this is An amazing thing to read, and I've read these passages my entire life since I've been a Christian. And as a kid, I used to watch adults read it and try to like talk themselves into it, and I didn't understand it. I know it's a biblical thing to do, but honestly, in our daily lives, this is one of the hardest things to do as a believer. In fact, I feel like we have forgotten about this almost completely. Or we forget about this daily. And like I said before, I am here to confess to you that this is one of the things that as a Christian, I absolutely suck at completely. In fact, I'm not I'm not only bad at rejoicing in my suffering, I'm actually really good at getting frustrated, tired and sad and depressed because of my pain. I'm really good at that. And if I can be honest, I'm really tired of suffering. I looked back at the five the last 5 years and <laughs> just I'm like God, what is happening? In 2016, my wife, like, we had three kids, natural births. Everything was going well. Then we had Caleb. And then all hell broke loose. Carla had to be, like, it was an emergency C-section. He was premature. Uh, Healthcare in Mexico wasn't good. Uh, We were planting a church. Our church was growing. Everything was just collapsing. I feel like the pressure just kept mounting. And then the bills kept mounting. We made the decision of, of coming back because it wasn't sustainable for Carla or Caleb. So in 2017, we told our church that we were leaving in Mexico. That was one of the hardest things to do. In 2018, we came back. We went through culture shock again. Our kids did not speak any English. We had a, we have no credit history. It was just really bad. Then we 2019, we moved to D.C. because we were brought by our, our sending church and we moved to Washington, D.C., we lived in Capitol Hill, and then I realized the place that I was working and the church that I was a part of wasn't what I thought it was, and then that was 2019, and then in 2020, the pandemic hit. My four kids were back in in at home. We put them in school, and school sent us back because of the pandemic. We lived in a row house in Capitol Hill, and we had to find a iPads and everything because all the kids requ- were required to be on Zoom. At, it's just like crazy. And that's in 2021. I could not take it anymore. I had a panic attack one week, and then I had another one the same week, and then I had another one that same week, and I was like, what is happening? I quit my job. I was like, this is this is over. I can't take this anymore. And then I spent five months unemployed, praying, praying, panicking about what's going to happen, and then uh, Will Klotz approaches me, and then he offers me this job, and I'm like, it's amazing, the possibilities, God is answering my questions, and then in 2022, that I, I, I'm like, yes, this is a good place, and then Will leaves, and then in 2023, after the church is going down, and we don't know what's going to happen, and everyone is leaving, and there's people angry, and I'm like, what is happening? We made it until the end of the year, and 2023 was the year of new. I was Joel Austin, and I was like, this is my year, and this is the beginning of everything. And two weeks into the year, Clint dies. And we're still here. And now my wife. And we spent two months without a house. And it's just like... On a a human side, I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. I would have been better as a doctor or as a whatever. And I'm not playing the victim. I'm confessing to you that when I read Paul's words, I struggle. And I, I believe I'm not alone in this. How do we rejoice in our struggles? Again, it's really it's really fun to read it, right? We all say, yeah. But then after a while, you're like, okay, is this going to stop? Like, is this a five-year period? Can we just? And you don't know. And then you read scripture, and, he, and they're like, do not be surprised. This is how it is. And you're like, what? And then Paul takes it even further. He doesn't stop at just suffering. He now goes to the thing that most humans fear the most, death. And if suffering was already absolutely nonsensical to the world, death is even worse because he goes on to say in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I don't know how he says that. I've been in contact with my friend Eli, and it doesn't sound like that, that his dad died so suddenly after jumping around from hospital to hospital, after just watching your father fade away in front of you every single day. It doesn't sound like gain, but this is the crazy thing is that nothing that Paul is talking about has to do with us or with him. The difference between the world and us is that we are able to do this because of a person, because of something that we can know and see and feel and understand that's beyond everything else, and that is Christ. The only reason why we can rejoice in suffering, the only reason why we can see death as a gain is because of Christ. If you lose Christ, your life is nothing. I don't even know how the people survive. That's why you have to have drugs and addictions and partying and sex and money. Because if you lose that, your life goes to hell. But we don't need all that. We don't need anything other than this person who suffered for us, willingly came to suffer, and willingly came to die for us. And because of that person in a supernatural way that we do not deserve, that we do not fully understand, and that we do not sometimes even feel, he gives us a supernatural power through his spirit to actually sometimes smile in the middle of the worst things we've encountered. The Christian view of death and suffering must only be perceived perceived through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, if I stay here, Christ. If I go, Christ. And if I suffer, Christ. And if I'm enjoying my life, Christ. Whatever is happening, Christ. And that is the difference between the Christian and anyone else. Is that if you're enjoying your life and things are going well, Awesome, but keep your eyes on Christ. And if you're suffering, keep your eyes on Christ. And if you go to, uh, to the hospital, keep your eyes on Christ. And that is what makes it so hard for us. Because of how we see Jesus. The reason why we can't see death in the same way is because it is hard for us to see Jesus as our greatest treasure. Like really see Jesus as our greatest treasure. We struggle to see death as gain because we love our things and our lives so much on this earth that death means the end of that. And we cannot fathom that. Paul, later in this letter, goes on to say that everything he has accomplished, everything on this earth, is trash for him. And that's why he, in Christ, in Christ, through Christ, can see death and suffering as gain. Because for Paul, Jesus was truly, truly, daily, his Lord and his savior. It wasn't just on Sundays. It wasn't just on community group. It wasn't just when you felt bad about your life. No, it was always. He was always in the front and center of his life. He truly knew that whatever he wanted was totally secondary to whatever God wants. He writes in Romans 14:8, "For if we live We live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then wherever we live or wherever, whether we die, we are the Lord's. And for us, that's hard. For me, truly, that is hard because there's so many things that I like and I enjoy and I want in this life that I cannot take more suffering because that is preventing me from enjoying what I want to enjoy. And I fail every day at putting my eyes on Jesus. Nobody, it's normal to fear death. Nobody wants to suffer or die. That's, that's normal. It actually helps us. It's not wrong to, to, to fear death or to have, try to avoid death. That You should do that. Christians have always done it. They have fled persecution. They have hidden in underground churches. But we also need to remember... That in the face of death, we can trust a God that defeated death for us. We can trust a God that suffered in our place as well. And listen to this. We have a God that is so wise and so powerful that the very thing that causes uh, that that our sin causes, which is death, because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, the thing that our sin causes, which is death, God flipped it, and instead of it now being our punishment for our iniquity, He has turned it into the path to our eternal perfect life. Jesus not only defeated death, He made death lose its sting. The sting of that, it was that the it was the end of everything. It was the end of hope, it was the end of joy, it was the end of your dreams, it was the end of your perfect life. But for the Christian, that is not the case. Death lots is sting, and now death is just a path to the best you can ever imagine. That is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus defeated death on the cross for us. And the sting of death has been removed in Christ. We can now have a different view of death and suffering. And we can see death as gain. And he did it by actually doing these two things that we fear the most. He died On a cross, he suffered for us, and he did it so that we could have a different view, so that we could eventually avoid that, because I have great news for all of us. The view of death and suffering on this earth should be, and it is different for us as Christians, and that is amazing because of Christ. But one day, those two things are going to be absolutely erased for us. One day, if you're a believer, if you truly understand that Jesus is not just a religion, that Jesus is not just something you do on Sundays, that Jesus is really the center of everything you do, that you owe your life to him. You see him and you say, he's my savior. You you hear his word and you say, yes, because he is my Lord. If you do that, if you are that, he will take you to heaven. And in heaven, there's no more pain there's no more suffering there's no more death you will live forever in perfection anything you think you know that's good you have no idea over there is going to be a million billion times better and that is what Jesus offers to us by grace because he suffered and died in our place And if you're listening to me and you're not a believer, this is probably the best part of Christianity. Is that this world is not all there is. There is something way better waiting for us. We can put our eyes on the future and smile and say, God, please come back now. But if he says not yet, we can also look at our lives and see everything that around us and the mess around us and say thank you because you're with me right now as well. Paul understood something that we struggle to understand. That Christ is truly everything we have. And that Christ is is everywhere. He's in death. He is in suffering. He is in abundance. He is in joy too. But the question for me, for all of us today is, who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus for you? Is he really the most important, precious thing that you have in your life? Because that is the key to understanding what suffering and death means for the Christian. I want you to listen to this. I want to remind all of us of who Jesus is and what he does for us. He is our Savior, he is our loving Savior. He carefully and genuinely listens to us. He knows our failures, he knows all of our successes, he knows all of our thoughts and still love us and accept us. He is our creator. He made us the way we are. He is with us everywhere all the time. He is with us in the lows. He is with us in the highs. He is close to us. He understands us. He is our tender and wise dad he provides for us he loves us so much that he gave his life for us he protects us he he protects our loved ones he's our friend he is gonna be the person that we're gonna be married forever he is our unshakable rock he's our merciful god he's our prince of peace he cares for our lives he is good he is love and i pray that we can treasure him In the same way that we treasure, or more, that that we treasure a lot of things around us. I want to invite you to keep your eyes on Jesus. I want to invite you to rejoice in Jesus. Not in situations or circumstances. Rejoice in Jesus. Find your joy in Jesus. Find your peace in Jesus. There is no peace. There is no joy in anything else. As cute as your kids can be, they're going to fail you and they're going to make you suffer. Put your eyes on Jesus. He never fails. He doesn't disobey or makes messes. He is amazing and he loves you your friends, your job, your career. They're not going to give you joy. They're not going to give you everything you need. Only Jesus can give you what you need. And I'm, I'm about to finish with this, but I need to tell you something. We're not going to be good Christians if we don't learn to put our trust, our faith, our joy, our peace in Jesus. Because as Christians, we're going to suffer. This recounting of my past five years and how awful I think they are, I don't think it's going to stop. And I have bad news for you. I don't think it's going to stop for you either. <laughs> There's, th- the saying is true. We're either coming out of it or going into it. That's all we have. We live in a fallen world. It's just a matter of time. This is not the last time I'm going to face pain. Guess what? My parents are going to die. I don't know if my kids are going to die. I don't know if I'm going to die. Cancer? It seems like everybody has cancer nowadays. I don't know what I'm going to have. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what can happen right now or in two days or in two hours or in two years. We don't know anything. And the Bible knows this, and it's not a fairy tale. The Bible is not telling you, yeah, your beautiful life is now, and yeah, God is going to name it and claim it. No. He's saying you're going to suffer. Make me the center of your life. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. And on top of that, this is the craziest things of all. The craziest thing of all. Paul ends this, ver- this section saying something that is absolutely nuts. In verse 21 it says, For it has, been, it has been granted to you. Listen to that. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. This is not a really evangelistic verse. But it's true. I have never seen anyone do an evangelistic um, I always say campaign and Carla just corrected me, because in Spanish it's campaña evangelística, but I think here's like a revival, or like a tent thing, whatever, when, uh, when a, an evangelist uh, goes into, how, is it a revival? Well, whatever. So forgive me for all the campaigns I've said before. <laughs> in Spanish it's campaña. So. I have never heard someone say, for it has been granted to you, come to Christ so you can suffer. Welcome. No. <laughs> but it's true. For it has been granted to you. So if you believe in Christ, if you have said that he is your Lord and Savior, guess what? In the package comes suffering as well. And guess what? It is a blessing. It is a grant. It is a gift. Because we are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. Look at these verses, Philippians 3.11 says that Paul shares in Christ's sufferings and he becomes like him in his death. In Romans 8.17, Paul says that we suffer with Christ and we will be glorified with him. And in 1 Peter 4.13, Paul said, Peter says that we rejoice in Christ's sufferings and we will rejoice in his glory. Jesus himself promised us affliction and suffering. And it is a way for us to identify with Christ Suffering is one of the marks of Christ. And it's also another mark of the church. It's not in the nine marks books. We should probably add it. His name, the name of our uh, Savior is the man of what? He is the man of sorrows. And we are the disciples of sorrows. It is a privilege for all of us who are his disciples, to bear the mark of our master. That is exactly what the apostles did in Acts 5, and we'll get to that. They counted it as joy because they were, they were worthy of being punished because of their Savior, because of Jesus. So this text could be paraphrased in the same way that we were given the gift of believing in Christ, we are also given the gift of suffering. And I want to read a a quote that I often go back to, specifically in the last five years, by um, one of my favorite authors, uh, D.A. Carson. He has a book called The Cross and Christian Ministry, and he says this. He says, We follow a crucified Messiah. All the eschatological promises regarding the new heaven and the new earth, all the blessings of sin forgiven and of the blessed spirit of God do not negate the fact that the good news we present focuses on the foolishness of Christ crucified. And that message simply cannot be effectively communicated from the haughty position of the triumphalist's condescension. Until the end of the age, we will take up our cross, That is, we will die to self-interest daily and follow Jesus. The less any society knows of that way, the more foolish we will seem and the more suffering we will endure. So be it. There is no other way of following Jesus. Leaders in the church suffer the most. They are not like generals in the military who stay behind the lines. They are the assault troops, the frontline people who lead by example as much as by word. To praise a form of leadership that despises suffering is therefore to deny the faith. This is our view as Christians. In Christ we have been given the privilege of dying and suffering because death is gain and suffering shapes us into more like Christ. So there it is. That's my message today that I preach to myself, and I hope it blesses you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus,